Well, good morning, First Free Minneapolis. Um, I am honored to be with you today. Like you said, my name is Josh Credo, and I'm going to repeat some things because that's what's in my notes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been in Prague, Czech Republic since 2013 as a missionary, and my wife Yaya is there. We've been married for three years, and like you said, she's a, she's a Czech national, so we have a cross-cultural marriage. It's always exciting, uh, the things we kind of figure out together. Um, it's been great to meet Joel, and uh, we've been take, well taken care of uh, by the staff at your church. I just recently went down and invaded your kitchen where they provided me with tea, so make sure my voice is ready to go this morning. So you guys are really taking care of us. We're here now in the U.S. on a six-month home assignment, and I've already been in the U.S. for a month and a half, uh, having a great time. We were just in Minneapolis uh, last month, actually, at the EFCA National Office, uh, for a time of debrief and visiting with supporting churches when we traveled over to Wisconsin. Um, I have to say, one of the most beautiful drives of my life was from Minneapolis over to Kenosha, Wisconsin. It was so beautiful a few weeks ago, just how the trees were all around us. I thought, wow, this is, this is great, so much color and beauty. And my wife, Yaya, said, this kind of feels like Czech, uh, this kind of northern part of the U.S. So that was nice for her and nice for me as well. Um, so we've been, I've been really happy to be back also, back to the land of processed foods. I just, it's everywhere. I, you should see how big my eyes get when I see a bag of Doritos. I'm like, wow, I can't believe they're everywhere. They're just everywhere and I can get them anywhere I want. Um, and my wife has to say, how about you eat something else also? Just put those down. Remember healthy food, remember that? Um, since I was asked to preach on missions today at your Outreach Sunday, I of course, thought of the Christians, uh, what we call the Great Commission, uh, Jesus' command to his followers to go into the world and be his witnesses. And I thought, this verse is discussed a lot, uh, so I should probably think of something else to preach from. But as it turns out, <laughs> the more I told myself not to think about the Great Commission, the more I kept thinking about the Great Commission. So I figured that was the Spirit's way of prompting me. Uh, so today, we will think more about this great commission, and I think we'll find some encouraging insights today. To, uh, to talk about the great commission, we must, I think, start with this. Uh, maybe you weren't aware of this or didn't realize it, but there are two versions of it in Scripture. Uh, Matthew records it in his gospel, but Luke records his own version of it in the book of Acts, and they're just a little different, um, and we'll talk about that. We're going to get into Luke's version of it. But first, let's talk about Matthew's version of it. So it will be Matthew 28. I didn't provide anyone with any uh, screen material, so we're going to do it old school today. You'll have to look in your old Bible, your own Bible. That's how we do it in Czech, so uh, that's how we're going to do it. This is a cross-cultural experience for you. No fancy American technology. Okay. Um, so Matthew's version of it, 28, 18, we'll get to that. Um, <clears throat> I just want to say it's great how the Spirit captures what Jesus, uh, that there's people that capture what Jesus says, that capture different nuances and aspects um, of what Jesus said, because I don't think one author could capture all that Jesus said, so it's good that we have different people that recorded, and you know, we have four Gospels, right? And they all kind of capture different angles of what Jesus uh, exemplified and taught. So the same with the Great Commission. Um, so there's one fascinating difference I want to talk about between the difference of how Matthew recorded the Great Commission and how Luke did. So let's look at Matthew's first, Matthew 28, 18. Let's just read it along with me as I read it to you. And then Jesus came to them, the disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I know you've heard that before. Um, This is clearly a command. It's in the original Greek, and you can feel that in how it's translated into English. It has four strong commanding verbs for us. Go, make, baptize, teach. From Matthew's view, it's clear that Jesus has work for us to do, things to get done. It's time to move. The command literally begins with, therefore, go. And it's a bit jarring. So like, don't loiter around here. Get to work. And often, we can feel this urgency in the church and in Christian communities. We talk about all the unreached peoples in the world and how we need to get the gospel to them, as Pastor Joel was praying. Uh, Matthew's version of this verse helpfully puts us into tension, especially for us Americans, about the comfortable, self-absorbed lives our culture encourages us to live. Um, You can almost imagine Matthew's version of Jesus uh, come knocking on your door. It's 5 a.m. while you're still rubbing your eyes and your, your, your head looks ridiculous with bed head. You just woke up and Jesus has three cups of coffee already. And he says, hey, wake up. It's time to go. Make disciples, time to baptize them, time to teach them to obey and follow me. What are you waiting for? Get dressed and let's go. But what I want to draw our attention to this morning is Luke's version of the Great Commission in the book of Acts. So it's in chapter 1, if you want to pre-get yourself ready, Acts chapter 1, 6 through 8. So I'll read this for us, Acts 1, 6 through 8. Then they, the disciples, gathered around him, Jesus, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What I'm fascinated and encouraged by is how Luke captures this for us. In the original Greek and how it's translated into English, there's a critical difference from Matthew. It is not stated as a command. Luke's version of Jesus isn't pushing anyone here. He's not in a rush. He's letting us sleep in. If it's not a command, then what is it? Well, I think it's something beautiful for us to think about. Luke gives this to us as a promise. This is a promise Jesus makes to his disciples, a prophetic statement about what is to come, an unavoidable coming reality. The promise Jesus makes to them is the Holy Spirit will come and give you power and you will become witnesses all over the world. Luke emphasizes here, as he does throughout the rest of the book of Acts, that the disciples will rely on the Holy Spirit's power to be Jesus' witnesses. The work of witnessing, of telling others about the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, which is what we call missions when that work is done in cultures beyond our own, is initiated by and dependent upon the work of the Spirit. This is a helpful tempering for Matthew's call for us to go. Luke reminds us that before you go, you need to wait. This work doesn't depend on you. You need supernatural help. 
And maybe there's a connection between that and what Jesus says in the rest of Luke's verse. Jesus lists out the places that is promised that they will be witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And often we talk about these places in very pragmatic fashion, um, explaining them as like the concentric circles of the locations we need to share the gospel. We can say like here, near, and far. Uh, Jerusalem is our own city. It's, it's, it's here. Uh, Judea and Samaria are the surrounding communities, so that's near. And then uh, the rest to the ends of the earth, and that is far. And this is certainly applicable. It makes Jesus sound very strategic in how he intends the gospel to spread throughout the world. While this is helpful, um, we must remember that Jesus begins with talking about needing to be powered by the Spirit. And it will help us if we can hear what Jesus says next through the disciples' ears. Jesus says they will be witnesses in these four different locations. The first shock about this is that this is a new concept for these faithful Jewish men. Their faith has never required them to really go to other people to share their faith. The Jewish concept of blessing the world and sharing their faith is what they would be, they would be, that they would be a city on the hill. An example to everyone about what life is like following the one true God so that other nations would be drawn to be a part of God's blessing on the Jewish people. This kingdom of God would be attractive to other nations as they demonstrated the blessing of living in covenant relationship between God and his people. They were supposed to draw people to them, not go to other people. This is a whole new category for them. That's why before Jesus says this to them, they are first asking him from the categories that they understand, when are you, Jesus, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You'll see that in verse 6. That's what they expect. When will you remake this model of an influential city on a hill that will attract people of other nations to be a part of your people? And that's why Jesus' answer here is shocking. He's basically saying, ah, actually I have a new plan now. Instead of attracting people to God's earthly kingdom in Israel, I am now sending you out to the other earthly kingdoms to spread my heavenly kingdom. God no longer brings salvation through an earthly kingdom, but he is manifesting his presence and redeeming creation through his heavenly kingdom. We would do well to always be reminded of that. This is a lot for the disciples to process, not the answer they were expecting at all. And they have no example how to do this, really. Hence, they will only be able to do it when they receive power from the Holy Spirit. And what's more... And this is fun. Let's consider the places they are being sent to uh, from the disciples' point of view. All four of these places are not ideal locations to be witnesses of Jesus. All four places are hard and will therefore certainly require the power of the Spirit. Even the willingness to go and to, uh, to, to go there will require the Spirit to transform the hearts and minds of the disciples. Now, if you would with me go into your, like, your imagination, we're going to pretend a little bit. I hope you don't mind. Let's imagine we're there amongst the disciples, and they're going through what Jesus said. So let's imagine I'm Bartholomew or one of the kind of lower uh, disciples, not mentioned so much. All right, Luke, you wrote down what Jesus said. Now, what did he say? Where, should we, where are we supposed to go? What's the first place he said? What? Did you, what? Jerusalem. 
No, 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 we, we can't go to Jerusalem. He, Jesus must have said, don't go to Jerusalem. Because, do you remember? <laughs> All the people that hate Jesus and his message are there. They'll do the same to us that they did to him. Rip our bodies to pieces and then crucify us. Jesus can't be serious. This is where the Jewish religious leaders are. Zealots like Saul of Tarsus, who went to imprison and kill Christians. I'm sure, Peter, I'm sure they'd love to see you there after you sliced off one of their ears. Yeah, let's just go back to Jerusalem. Next place, Luke. What's the next place? Oh, Judea. Oh, man, who wants to go to Judea? To that wilderness. Super hot in the day, freezing at night. Bandits and robbers jump you while you travel and there's no one around to help. And who, who's gonna, who are we going to share the message with there? All the rural folk, a bunch of weirdos. They won't understand. Just a bunch of little towns there. So much work for so little impact. I'm just as likely to get stung by a scorpion or bit by a snake before I can even meet someone who would listen. All right, Luke, this isn't working out. Tell me the third place. Oh, that has to be a joke. Samaria? Okay, this is getting ridiculous. I know Jesus had some sweet interactions and things to say about Samaritan people, but let's be serious. Uh, the, last people, uh, the last people we want to go to are them. We've been conditioned our whole lives to hate those people. For centuries, our people have hated those people. They're like the last people we want to give good news to. We don't even know how to be like around each other, like to accept and listen and build relationships with each other. It will be so awkward. It'll be like sending Vikings fans to be with Packers fans. We can't do this. All right, these three aren't working out, Luke. What's the last place he said? Oh my goodness. Yes, of course he said that. Jesus would say that. The ends of the earth. Yeah, let's go do one of the most dangerous things we can think of and travel around the ancient world. What are the chances we get lost, or we get robbed, or we get kidnapped or killed? I'm sure other cultures will receive us well, right? They won't enslave us or anything. They won't have any hostile reactions. Does Jesus not know the modern airline system hasn't been invented yet? And does anyone know what language they speak at the end of the earth? Where would you choose to go? Probably Judea, right? Because you guys can handle the cold. That's what I understand. You guys can handle that part. I like to share from my personal experience how the Great Commission is being worked out on the missions field in Czech Republic, if I may. It is also dependent on the work of the Spirit. Maybe I can help paint a picture of how this command and promise to be Jesus' witnesses to all peoples is continuing to this day. Three years ago, at our teen English camp, that is a ministry we do to try and make relationships with students and, and, and Czech, one of the new students who came was named Vercha. She was not a Christian from an unbelieving family and came due to her friend's invitation. She told us later how she loved her time at camp but sometimes felt out of place because there were so many Christians at the camp who would talk about their faith and deeper spiritual things that she had no exposure to. Typically, about a third of our camp are Christians, but to a Czech, that is an incredibly large number of Christians to be around. They've never been in a place where they're around so many believing people. Most Czechs believe nothing, and they don't want to believe anything. 
one of the most atheistic countries in the world. Yet Vircha realized, after some time, she enjoyed talking about spiritual things. Uh, the second year, she came to camp again, and she was ready to engage. She deepened her relationships with all the other students and enthusiastically participated in spiritual discussions. On one of the last evenings of the camp, with all the students gathered together at our evening program, the Czech pastor asked the students, with everyone's eyes closed, simply to raise their hands if any of them wanted to know God better. And Vercha wanted to raise her hand, but she was afraid. It seemed so strange, so vulnerable to do, so she didn't raise her hand. But as the pastor prayed over them, Vercha got a vision from God in her mind with a bright flash. She could see everyone in the room raising their hands. Vercha was terrified. She ran out of the room crying. Long into the night, her friends and, and, and leaders sat and talked and prayed with her, trying to help figure out and understand what happened with her. At the very end of this camp, there was a different feeling with Vercha. She was going to figure out more about this God who was clearly pursuing her. She approached me and my wife and asked if uh, we would start a Bible study. Because she heard, if you study the Bible, you hear more from God. That's right. Of course, we agreed. I should note that the pastor and I, the Czech pastor and I, we have been offering Bible studies to these students for years because they seem kind of spiritually interested. And we thought, we'll do a Bible study. And they're like, no, <laughs> we're not that into it. So for a year, me and my wife, Vercha, and one Christian student, Sara, came, who came as like a moral support and be an example, we met once a week, just the four of us, and began reading through the Gospel of John. Vercha was amazed and baffled by reading scripture. She never heard any of it. But she loved it. And she asked lots of challenging things. She kept me on my toes. And she eventually bought her own Bible. The next year at camp, which is our third year now, you see how long this process takes, she was always in deep spiritual conversations with other students. And apparently, she kept telling everyone as they talked about spiritual things, oh, we talk about those things in our Bible study. You should come. Yeah, 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 this topic, yeah, Josh talks about it. We like look it up together and you can ask those questions. You can come to our Bible study. So after this camp, uh, we started Bible study again. 15 students showed up at my house. We could hardly fit them in our little Prague apartment. Even when COVID hit, we continued to meet together online to learn from God's word and encourage each other in faith. We were like a little church. Even now, this Bible study continues while I'm gone. Another student who had interest in helping lead it asked if he could borrow my academic study Bible, so I gave it to him. And I've had to buy a new Bible since I've been back in the U.S. Now, this story, I would say, is much more about the spirit than anything I did. I didn't give her a vision. I didn't ask her to start a Bible study. I didn't ask 15 students to join. I'm not even leading the Bible study now. I just found as a missionary, my work is about getting out of the Spirit's way and adjusting myself <laughs> to receive the work the Spirit is doing, much more than the application of my skills and knowledge. I seek to be a tool for the Spirit's use. If I can help a Czech pastor 
set up a camp where relationships can form and the Spirit can work, if I can host a Bible study where the Spirit can speak through God's Word, if I can open my home to the spirit, the, to students that the Spirit is working amongst, and if I can give away my Bible so the Spirit can speak through it, then I've done my job. And all the while, in this deeply, spiritually apathetic country, I'm watching God's kingdom grow around me. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you and celebrate with you and be humbled by with you that missions is the work of the Spirit. It's Christ's promise becoming reality. And my own calling to missions is also a testament to the Spirit's work. And Joel briefly referenced it. Let me tell you all the behind the scenes details. Speaking of Judea, I'm from rural Missouri, <laughs> absolute land of rednecks. Where you teach your, well, not teach, where you watch your neighbors blow past your house on dirt bikes and four wheelers, uh, where you can shoot the raccoons that are trying to get into your garbage, and then you cook them and eat them for dinner. That is where I am from. I was never the person who cared about learning another language or learning another culture. I always kind of laughed at the people who were so obsessed with traveling and always had stories about the cool new food they tried or the things they saw, the pictures they wanted to show us from their latest trip and their international friends. None of that fit me at all. You certainly don't send someone like me to a sophisticated, elegant European city like Prague. Do you want to know how I got there? I thought you'd never ask. Because... I went to serve at these two week-long teen camps when I was 24 and 25 years old. And the second year I was there, or maybe it was the first year now that I think about it, the Czech pastor leading the camp, who I still work with to this day, said to me, Josh, don't you just want to stay here and help me do ministry like this all the time? And I said, what? And he said, yes. The students love you. They listen to you. I think you'd be great. And I replied, now, wait a second. I just love being with students. That's not a reason I should move to check and become a missionary. And he looked at me with this huge smile on his face, sorry about that, and said, sure it is. And I had two simultaneous reactions in my heart. One of, no way. And the second of, I would love that. For the rest of, uh, for the, rest of the year, the Czech pastor's words kept coming back to me. I couldn't drown them out. It didn't make any sense. I kept seeing his big smile in my mind. Many people have offered me things in my life, and I've been able to let it go, you know, move on, offers to start a business, to take other jobs and move places. I can forget all those. How is this pastor's offer still ringing in my head and my heart? The most unlikely offer I could have ever expected. That's the work of the Spirit. He speaks through his people to one another. Within a year after my second teen camp, I was in check as a long-term intern, as a short-term intern, sorry, and then in 2016, I transitioned to long-term, and just this last year, I became the leader of the Reach Global Prague City team. Now, doesn't that sound like a joke? Close. That is the work of God. And when I reflect on it all, I remember the urgency to go. I remember I felt the Spirit's call to be in check and minister to and with 
those people. I worked so hard. I did lots of training. I traveled around the Midwest to raise support. I left my old life behind and took on the challenges of living in and ministering in one of the most atheistic cultures on the planet. But what I see more than my work is God's promise. So many doors were opened that I could have never opened. So many things provided that I didn't know to ask for. Ways I've grown I could not imagine. And I probably would not have asked for had I known. We are called as the body working together to go. There's no time to delay. But also, we wait. I think we have seen how Jesus intends the work of the Great Commission to be dependent on the Spirit. It requires his power. So my word for you this morning that I think God has for us is not to go, but don't go unless. Don't go unless you are sure of this promise that God will be with us to complete his work. And don't go unless, like the disciples, we are at least a little bit terrified that we've considered the immense task at hand and are humble enough to recognize we are not able to do this. And don't go unless we are ready to completely yield to the direction and the work of the Spirit in us and those around us. Otherwise, let's go. I would like to thank you first free that you desire to go in the Spirit. Thank you for your work to support those who are going on the mission field. Thank you for how you care for them and give them visibility in your community. You don't forget them. And let them come and share with you in all the different places, even in this building right now. Thank you for how you welcome them. And something, I won't take Joel's thunder, but something that prepares us to go in the spirit is how we nurture and challenge ourselves as a church body. So uh, in the time we take to reflect on what Jesus has done for us, prepares us for sharing with others what Jesus has done for them. Let's pray really quick. God, thank you this morning for your word, for your challenge, um, for the example of the church through the generations of how people have gone before us on mission, that your word has indeed spread all over the globe, that you still raise up workers today. Let us be people that are part of a body that sends people in your spirit, that we're in prayer for them, that we are in support of them, that we ourselves are going. How exciting and how humbling it is to be a part of your work in the world. May we see the fruit of your spirit. May we see your kingdom advance in places we would not expect and could never otherwise happen except for your presence and your power and your faithfulness and your love working in the hearts of all these people in the world, all of them made in your image, all of them deeply loved by you. What an honor to share that with them. Bless the rest of this service. Uh, bless this community uh, this week. Amen.